gentlemen, to another episode of the Bobo Mango and Donovan Void. We are here at the beach and today we want to talk about selfishness. Mm. We want to get a little existential. Mm. We were watching a very interesting video yesterday comparing and contrasting what is a better life and what is more valuable to society, selfishness or selflessness. Mm. I want to start with a theory that I learned about, I think, a year ago. But I saw it in a documentary that I was watching about monkeys. Different types of monkeys exist in different climates. And the climate in which a monkey exists in mm. determines the extent to which they will be collectivist mm. and the extent to which they will be individualistic. Right. And what they found is that monkeys that exist in climates with abundance mm. are very very collectivist right they're happier yeah yeah they hug each other they also found that they share more intimacy uh. they're more affectionate with each other uh. they, they be fucking each other, but they they fuck uh. a lot makes a lot of sense okay monkeys where there's just so many bananas yeah there's just so much food there's so many resources. Yeah. They don't really have to compete with each other for resources. Mm. They just do tend to be more collectivist. Mm. Monkeys that exist in climates where there's just not that much resources. Gets a little shysty. It gets a, it's a little, little grimy. They, they have yeah. very different yeah, personalities. Yeah. I can see that. They're very individualistic. Yeah. They are very unaffectionate. Mm. They They tend towards selfishness a lot more. They mm. are more violent. Mm. They fight more because they have to compete for resources. So therefore, these genes mm. are just epigenetically passed down for gender. Even when those monkeys move, mm. they continue on with those genes. For example, if there's a drought and there's no water in that area, and then the monkeys have to migrate, mm -hmm. they still have those tendencies. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because I'm South African mm -hmm. and I was born in and am part of a culture that exists in one of the most abundant climates in the world. Yeah. We have so just naturally. Yeah. We have so much food. Yeah. We have so much sun. Yeah. We have so much beauty. Mm. Just the the natural environment and climate here just favors humanity. And that informs why South Africans or Southern Africans generally, because Zimbabwe is the same, Botswana is the same, you know, et cetera, et cetera, why us Southern Africans tend to be more collectivist. Right. When you move to other areas of the world. Yeah, the niggas who left. Um, the people who moved more, more west too. The more, you know, we, we see that there are climates in which there are less natural resources those cultures just tend more towards selfishness. Mm. And I want to preface this conversation by saying that I don't think that there's actually a moral incentive for why different cultures tend towards one side more than the other. I think it's entirely environmental. Mm -hmm. And now that we're here, I can see why selfishness mm -hmm. Not entirely, not like Ted Bundy, mm. but I can see why tending towards selfishness right. could be the more utilitarian way of existing. Mm -hmm. But what do you think? 
think it's really interesting because, you know, I'm someone who also naturally associates like selflessness with godliness, with just doing the right thing inherently. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's something that we don't talk about enough is the dark side. There's a level of selflessness mm. that basically just accommodates to anyone in the room, right? Right. So if I have a friend and I'm hanging out with another friend and that friend is talking shit about my initial friend, yeah. a very, very selfless person in order to not cause any trouble in order yeah. to not make anyone uncomfortable and actually yeah. be like, yeah, yeah, no, you know, yeah, he's like that. Da, da, da. And yeah. then they'll also go hang out with that same person that was just being talked shit about and say the same thing. Mm. So there's a level of just being accommodating to anything, mm. making yourself small um, that we associate with morality, mm. but it really is just cowardice. Right. And right. there's just a level of selflessness that is really sort of just kind of this benign narcissism or maybe this actual just fear of mm. being confrontational, which yes. is not a positive trait. Interesting. Putting others before yourself is inherently positive, but is kind it? of, well, we'll That's talk about That's what I want to question. Right. Okay. But hiding behind others, being accommodating of anyone, like, so you hang out with a bunch of Nazis and then you yeah. sit there like, no, I understand. What the fuck is that? You yeah. know what I mean? So there's a level of being selfless yeah. that actually becomes negative. And I think because we live in a world that we presume was entirely destroyed by selfish people, we don't really think about the ways that quote-unquote selfless people also corrode society. Interesting. Another thing I think about selfless people is that if you're always putting other people before yourself, which is something that I really struggle with, it's my innate knee-jerk reaction, mm. you will inherently never become the best version of yourself and therefore you'll never be as useful as you could be to society mm, because you've always been minimizing yourself, shrinking yourself, putting anyone and everyone's needs before your own. Mm. And I think as a generation, maybe reacting to how much selfish, narcissistic people have destroyed the world, mm. we inherently just associate selflessness as the way to be. Mm. But I'm not quite sure that's the full story. I think the real story is that you have to be selfish enough to become the best version of yourself, yeah. but then selfless enough to actually use that for other people. Let's think about the fully selfless person, which right. doesn't exist. Right. They don't wash, they don't eat, they don't take care of themselves. Mm. They don't do basic things that you need to survive. Mm. Basic things that you need to take care of your physical and mental health yeah. in order to show up for other people. Yeah. And I think that it is going to be a hot take. Maybe people might be mad about this, but Let's some go. of the most resentful, spiteful people, bitter, bitter people yeah. I've ever met mm -hmm. have been the most selfless. And something about constantly putting others before yourself mm. day after day after day yeah. inherently makes you a resentful asshole mm. because you've actually never been doing anything for yourself. Yeah. And that's actually perfectly natural, you know? And I've, I've fallen into that. I'm actually dragging myself here. I've been so selfless yeah. in every single part of my life that I found myself just being resentful mm. and so fucking mad at people yeah. that actually did nothing wrong to me. I want to share like a personal example. I was going to ask, please, yeah. please share an example. So at the height of my music career, like yeah. I put out a song, it starts blowing up immediately. I get approached by this person mm. that works for a streaming service. And this yeah. is my like golden opportunity, right? Right. Um, they're really excited about my music. They're really invested in my career and just like me as a person. And we're like, all right, we're about to work together. Mm. Um, mind you, in music, you really only get one window, right? Yeah. When you pop, 
and you have all this attention on you, you really got to optimize that moment because mm. you might not get it again. Right. So I decided to go with this person. We're locked in. We signed a contract. Da, 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 da. A month later, that person gets cancer. Right. Right. And listen, I am a feeling, empathetic, decent human being. Yeah. I know that my music career does not matter. Yeah. Compared in, in relation, to, in relation to, yeah. to someone getting a potentially life-ending diagnosis. Mm. So I inherently just showed up for that person as a friend. Mm. I helped them through chemo. I, I helped them mentally navigate the situation. And I never brought up the fact that, hey, my music career is kind of just completely fallen to the wayside. Yeah. And hey, this is my life as well, too. Yeah. And I felt insane asking them to work with other people while they had cancer. Because listen, they have cancer mm. and you don't want to like break bad news to yeah. someone who's going through something awful. Oh, and you, I felt you, like, sorry. sorry. For those of us who aren't so familiar with how the music industry works. Yeah. You had a non-compete clause in this contract. I did so it. That meant you couldn't work with other streaming services or labels right. or other. It's okay. rude. It's very rude. And, and it's an especially rude thing to maybe drop on someone as soon as they get out of chemo. Right. You know? Right, right. So inherently, I sacrificed my music career to maintain my friendship with this person. Right. But at the end, my resent from sacrificing my career in order sabotage. to maintain this friendship mm. actually sabotage the friendship in right, the end. Right. And in hindsight, I look back and if I go, OK, if I was selfish enough mm. to say, hey, I'd actually like to pursue management and help from these other people. I would still like to show up for you as a friend, though. Mm. But as far as our work relationship, I can't miss this opportunity in life. Mm. We would have still been friends. Yeah. I would have been able to actually take advantage of this once in a lifetime opportunity mm. and everything would have worked out better. Yeah. If I was inherently a little more selfish, mm. if I was inherently enough of an asshole to maybe call someone up after a round of chemo and go, hey, yo, fam, I don't know. I'm under new management. That sounded crazy to me at the time. I was not raised that way. I was yeah. not. But me being the way I am, me being this naturally selfless, extremely empathetic person mm. ruined everything. Sometimes trying to save everything. Yeah. Now you, actually now you ruins don't have everything. the career that you're pursuing right. and you don't have the French exactly. friendship. Exactly. Question, though, I'm also some I'm a recovering people pleaser. Yeah. OK. I am also someone that tends towards selflessness. I think a little less than you, though. I'm a little bit more of an asshole. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's fine. In that story, yeah. I actually don't think it would have been selfish for you to tell her that mm. you're pursuing new management. Yeah. And maybe, maybe there's something, maybe there's like nuances about the music industry that I don't understand. Yeah. But from my perspective, if I am your manager and now we're friends, as your friend who has cancer, I also want the best for you. And mm. then I also know that I don't have the range to be your manager. Right. So the only thing that would make sense for both of us is for you to relieve me of the work of managing you mm. and for you to get like other management or right. go get so I think something that, you know, people pleasers tend to do mm -hmm. is to make assumptions on behalf of other people. Mm. And there's there's something arrogant and I'm dragging myself. That's the banal narcissism. I'm That's dragging that quiet myself. narcissism. Yeah, you're right. You're making I, assumptions for other people. You've made you first of all made the assumption on behalf of this other person. Yeah, that they need you. Right. 
And without you as a client, they would be nothing. Right. Or they would have nothing. They would drag me. You know? Yeah. And so that's, that's the first assumption that I'd want to question, which yeah. is that, you know, this person had a career before you. Right. They had a career before they had cancer. They had a career before they met you. Yeah. And they will have a career after they have cancer. And they will have, you know? Yeah. Because now that your friendship has ended. Yeah. And they're in remission. Yeah. They still have that job, but you don't. But I don't, exactly. You, they, they moved up, but right. you don't. So making assumptions on behalf of other people is a core tenet. And I'm, re I'm really actually dragging my, because I do this a lot. Yeah. Um, making assumptions on behalf of other people when you don't want to hurt them or slight them, A, has the underlying assumption that you are more important. It has a, a somewhat like self-aggrandizing Absolutely, absolutely. And then it also has an assumption that other people are like you. Yeah. And that's something that all human, whether you're a people pleaser or not. Yeah. We, we all, you know, it's like the brain in a box, the, the beetle in a box analogy. We all tend towards the assumption that everyone else is like us. And that is one of the biggest psychological fallacies. Absolutely. Um, it's A, the assumption that, you know, your career is important to you. Her career might have just been a job. Right. To her, you know, like you were just another client. Yeah. But like her career is just 10% of her life. To you, you know, maybe you're 16. Yeah. You're trying to get out the hood. This is It was everything, everything to me. To you. Yeah. You know, this is. And so you project your assumption of what this thing means to you on someone else. Yeah. Which is why setting boundaries is really always such a good idea. Right. Because you actually never know what something means to someone else. Something uh, might mean the world to you, yeah. but really mean nothing to me. You know, yeah. it's like we were talking about this the other day, like careers and jobs for me are just like a logistical chore. Yeah. But for you, it's really something that you find meaning and fulfillment in. And, like, you know, it's like pretty a deeply existential thing. Yeah. And so, you know, I also tend towards the assumption that, like, you know, when someone is coming to where it's just a job, you know, when I go to a doctor's office, I, I, I assume, like, you know what? I'm just another number to this doctor. Mm. But maybe I'm not. Maybe this is their life's work. Uh. Maybe, you know, curing people of PCOS is a doctor's greatest passion. And, you know, so... I think one of the reasons we really fuck ourselves as people pleasers or selfless people is because that state of existence comes with so many assumptions that are so harmful. Mm. I think the biggest assumption mm. beyond assuming what other people think is assuming that you know what you even want. Mm. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we <laughs> yeah. make in life yeah. because people always talk about selflessness or selfishness or self-care. And I know this might sound like, like a head-ass, like Jordan Peterson-ass thing, but like, yeah. what is the self? Mm. Let's first start with self. Yeah. Because within all of us, there are a bunch of entities struggling to define themselves as like I, Absolutely. as like me, as mm. the self. People are lovers, but then they're also career-focused, and then they're also traumatized children, and yeah. then they're also sexual beings. And all of these things fight inside of us mm. for the ability to be in the driver's seat. Yes. And I think what really sucks about the way that we've structured society, it could be capitalism, monogamy, is only one version of you gets to define itself as me, mm. as I, as the main person in the driver's seat. Yeah, yeah. And that forces us to throw all of those other personalities into the backseat. Mm. And when you kind of throw something away for a while, it sort of metastasizes into this beast. Mm. 
that just can't be controlled. And then beasts just go out and cause so much damage. They yeah. just cause so much chaos. Yeah. And I think that that is inherently the downfall of making these assumptions, both about other people and about yourself. Mm. So I think, yeah, even in entering relationships, people assume that they know what they want. And I, you know, I was talking to a friend who they're in their 50s mm. and they're still single. Yeah. And they don't care. Like, they've given up on love entirely. Wow. And I was asking them why. And they said something that was kind of profound. And they said that whenever I'm in a relationship, my partner's favorite version of me is never my favorite version of myself. Mm. And that causes an incompatibility. Interesting. And I think that's sort of another way of describing that feeling of multiple versions of ourselves mm. fighting to become fighting the main. power. You know? Yeah. And I think that... That's another thing that sort of gets lost in, in communication because there's all these compromises that we have to make in life. Yeah. And I really think like none of them are healthy. And that's why people that's form so much resentment and Absolutely. people form so much and they make so many assumptions. You know? Resentment is such a fascinating emotion. Yeah. Because what is resentment at its core? It's unmet needs that have just not been vocalized. Yeah. You know, like when we feel resentment towards another person, mm. it's because our needs, our desires, like really fundamental needs mm -hmm. or desires that we, for whatever reason, yeah. didn't have the balls or the courage right. to vocalize, are just sitting, like festering and growing. Yeah. yeah. And like back to that definition of the self, it's like, okay, you ask people what it means to practice self-care or you ask people what it means to put yourself first and you realize what they're describing is just to succumb to whatever whim they have today self-care mm -hmm. is go and getting an ice cream self-care is taking yourself to get an expensive spa yeah. all of those things could potentially be self-care mm -hmm. but i think what your real definition of self should be is what is best for me in the long term mm -hmm. right it's not what i want today it's yeah. not what will scratch that itch today meet yeah. that craving today yeah. it's when i look back on my life holistically mm -hmm. what was the best thing for myself is that going to get an ice cream yeah. is that spending 500 dollars on a spa mm -hmm. date i don't know yeah. but my point is that when i listen to people talk about like self-care mm -hmm. or putting themselves first i see them describing succumbing to the whims of the moment and i don't see them subscribing to optimizing themselves in the long term mm -hmm. thinking about themselves holistically yeah and we always make this joke about like people who go out and buy like louis vuitton belts when they have holes in their underwear yeah and it's like that's an example of the fucked up kind of self-care mm -hmm. that's like having a commodity fetish that's yeah. just going out and doing something to flood yourself with dopamine in the meantime mm -hmm. but maybe doing something like i don't know getting a new piece of furniture for your home or yeah. like redoing the floors in your home, that's something that might holistically make you happier. Mm. That's an act of self-care that you're really thinking about who am I today? Who yeah. am I tomorrow? Yeah. Who am I a year from now? Right. And what is that person going to find joy in? What is that person going to find fulfillment in? Yeah. And I think that self-care is a really beautiful thing, but it's been so bastardized by just commodity fetishization right. and just rampant individualism that no one is actually doing things that are good for themselves in the holistic definition of me or the holistic definition of I. They're yeah. doing things that are good for who am I today? Yeah. Who do I want to fuck today? What do I want to eat today? What do I want to... That's what they're really doing. And I don't even yeah. think that's properly selfish. I think that that's mm. like the really, really short-sighted version of selfishness. Yeah. And I think truly what it is is that short-sighted selfishness is bad, but long-term selfishness might be good because you'll become a better person that could become more useful to others. Mm. What are your thoughts? I actually think 
two things. If you ask the average person, why haven't you killed yourself? Like, mm -hmm. why Why do you wake up in the morning and go on? Mm -hmm. You know, people will answer with, I like being alive. You know, I, you know, I like it here. Yeah, I have my bad days, but mm -hmm. like overall, I like it here. Mm -hmm. And then you ask them, well, why do you like it here? Mm -hmm. And then they say, well, you know, like, I like pursuing happiness or I like being happy. Then you ask them, well, what makes you happy? And most people will tell you that happiness comes from the satisfaction of their desires. Mm. When I have a desire and then I satisfy that desire, then that makes me happy. Mm. When I have a need and then I satisfy the need, then that makes me happy. What that stems from is a fundamental misunderstanding mm. of what it is that actually makes us feel fulfilled. Mm which is actually not the satisfaction of desires it's improving ourselves yeah it's just and, and in any way it could be like becoming a more emotionally mature person yeah the thing about the satisfaction of desires is that not all your desires are for your benefit mm. some of them are but most of them aren't mm. you have the desire to satisfy your sweet tooth so mm. you go and buy a box of brownies right you satisfied that desire but if you were to do that every time you had that desire, would you not just have diabetes? Right. Did that like actually... And is that self-love? Is, is that, that self-care? Is, is that... Is you don't that, have a foot. You know? <laughs> yeah, and so I think what people... People always pursue happiness in the context of satisfaction of desires. But I really do think... And I don't even really believe in happiness or this nebulous idea of happiness. But I really do think fulfillment just comes from looking at who you were a year ago mm. and then looking at who you are today and being like, I'm a better bitch. Right. Still trash, but I'm a better bitch. Yeah. And the reason we keep, we stay on this treadmill of satisfying desire after desire after desire is because we're trying to gain the fulfillment of self-improvement. Right through the satisfaction of desire mm. but every time we look at who we were a year ago somehow we're worse and we don't understand why yeah when we've spent all this time satisfying our desire yeah you know it's like you pursued your dream career yeah you you got the money that you wanted you got your dream body you got you got all these things that you desired right but they didn't make you better people right they didn't make you a better person yeah they didn't improve you in any way that you want to improve upon yeah and so when you look at who you were a year ago and you look at who you are now you've done all these things but somehow you're worse and now you feel worse you know someone asked me something that made me spiral the other day yeah it's like you know me i'm like an anarcho commie cuck i want to share everything yeah. i believe everyone should get but i was talking to my friend who's like way more conservative and he said something to me that kind of made me spiral where he was like look back at your life and think about the people that brought the best out of you mm. were they people that were these selfless sharing is caring everything should be or were they people who were like hard asses mm. and it's interesting because i have examples of both i have yeah. like people in my life who they gave me a really soft form of love and mm. direction and that made me feel really safe and confident. Yeah. And then I also look back at like basketball coaches I had and they were yeah. such hard asses yeah. and that really brought the best out of me. Yeah. Like yeah, I had this yeah. coach, his name was Sam 
And every Sunday we would practice at Wingate Park in Brooklyn. And anytime we did something wrong, we'd have to just do like 20 laps around the park. And he wouldn't allow us to eat anything. And he wow. would just allow us to drink lemon water. Wow. He was the hardest coach I've ever had. Mm. And okay, maybe that's abuse. I think that's kind of child. I think yeah. I'm describing child abuse. Yes, but what are. I'm trying to say yes, yeah. is that he really did bring the best. Like I had a bunch of basketball coaches in my life. Mm. Only he got me to perfect my jump shot. Only he got me to get my stamina up. Only, and I think that there's something to be said yeah. about the selfish people. Yeah, Not because like, they're inherently good, mm. but because they actually sometimes bring the best out of you. Yeah. And, and sometimes being this very nurturing, comforting figure in mm. someone's life is it's very enabling. enabling. Yeah. And I, I really think it's like it's the difference between mom love and dad love. Yeah. I, I think yeah. like not to love. not to like gender essentialize or whatever, but like yeah, the maternal energy in whoever I think is that really nurturing, mm. caring. Doesn't matter that you win; it just matters that you tried. Yeah. When you're crying, you have a soft shoulder to cry on. And then dad love is like real conditional. Yeah. It's like, hey son, did you win? Yeah. All right, yeah. I don't really care until you win. Yeah. And it's like something about the balance of those two forces mm. are really important. Because I think Absolutely. people think that you have to be a hard ass and that shit does not work on certain people. Yeah. Like we've yeah. had this problem in our relationship where it's like tough love does not work on you. Yeah. It, just, it does yeah, not do I'm anything not for you. Love. Yeah. Tough love really works on me. Mm. When people are very forgiving and nurturing and understanding with me, I become very complacent and very lazy. Mm -hmm. And when someone is a hard ass with me, yeah. I step my shit the fuck up. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like, maybe that's gendered. I don't know. I think it more has to do with people on an individual level. But there's something about the balance of those two things. Mm -hmm. I think you might need very selfish, nurturing people that prioritize sharing and then very selfish, hard-nosed assholes who yeah. just fucking get to it. You know and then they have to exist synergetically. No, I absolutely. So maternal love is unconditional love mm. and paternal love is conditional. Yeah. And from the perspective of like child development, for the first few years of your life, you need a lot of maternal love mm. in order for your brain to develop in a healthy and functional way. Mm. The reason for this is because when you're fresh out the womb, you need safety, you need comfort, you need stability, you know, you need the structures of maternal unconditional love mm. in order for your brain to mature and develop in a way that is healthy. Mm. Once you've moved past that stage, then dad can you step. now, <laughs> yes, but really though, now, now that your brain has the foundations yeah. of, what, of what it needs in order for you to be a, a, a healthy, mentally and emotionally healthy adult mm -hmm. once you've moved past that stage you need the conditional love yeah in order to make you now a competent and useful person yeah so unconditional love provides a foundation mm -hmm. of stability and safety and comfort mm. through which your brain can develop into something that is healthy mm. that can now handle mm -hmm. the the conditional love that comes from the paternal side. Absolutely. And I think what happens, because we live in such an unbalanced and patriarchal society, yeah. is that a lot of people don't get the foundational maternal unconditional love that they need. Mm. They really grow up with this sort of neurochemical imbalance yeah. where they're really not very emotionally healthy. They don't have like a stable sense of self. They don't have a trust in themselves and of the world. They don't trust that they are safe. 
they didn't have the foundation of unconditional love that their brain desperately needed when they were a baby. Mm. I think what happens when you live in a world as patriarchal as the one that we do live in is that you hop out the womb, you hop out the womb and it's immediately conditional love. Mm. It's immediately and so we grow up to be these insecure adults, these adults that don't feel safe in our own bodies, in our minds, that don't trust ourselves, that don't feel stable mm -hmm. ever, that always constantly feel like the ground is shifting. And what kind of person does that make you into, you know? Absolutely. And so many of us have that. Yeah. And a lot of people also have the opposite, where you only got maternal unconditional love. Yeah. And you didn't get the paternal conditional love. And by the way, I'm not like, making this gendered yeah. i don't mean like only a mother can they're abstract ideas Big, yeah, yeah i'm talking yeah. about like the abstract idea of yeah. paternal love and paternal love it can be from any gender i don't care yeah it's not real and it's a spectrum i don't care yeah but when you grow up with one and not the other if you grow up with too much patriarchal love or if you grow up with too much matriarchal love then you just don't become a balanced person. Yeah. And you don't become a mentally or emotionally healthy person. Yeah. And I also think that leads to a lot of extremes. Why yeah. people are such extremely selfish people or just extremely selfless mm -hmm. people pleasers. Yeah. Um, I do think it stems from that it stems from a, an imbalance that happened in childhood. You know, it's really interesting. I was talking to one of my guy friends about this mm. and we were talking about as you get older and older and society progresses and women are now demanding like basic reciprocity and mm. respect. Yeah. And you're trying to navigate dating and love and romance. As you get older and older as a man, you just find yourself getting more and more resentful towards your father because he didn't mm. teach you anything. Oh, wow. And I, I was telling you about this point this woman made the other day. The reason why cishet relationships aren't working is because men are looking for their mothers and women would rather die than end up like their mothers. Mm. So men are looking for the benevolent housewife that just does all the domestic labor, does all this shit, yeah. brings them the food. That's their definition of a good woman. Mm. And then women grew up watching their mother suffer mm. and their mission statement is saying, I am not going to end up like my mom. Absolutely. So both people are looking for polar opposite things. Absolutely. And when I'm in a fight and I don't know how to handle my emotions and I get angry and I get, I get really fucking mad mm. at like the male figures in my life mm, because I just realized yeah. they didn't teach me fucking anything. Mm. And even when I was trying to give you these examples of like, all right, who really brought the best out of me in life? You look at men's role models and it's football coaches. What do they do? You know Scream. What I was gonna say. It's yeah. it's military sergeants. Yeah. What do they do? Scream. Yeah. As a man, you look back at these people that were yeah. supposed to be teaching you things mm. and you realize all they fucking taught you yeah. is how to yell. Yes. Yeah. That's all yeah. they ever and, and it sucks. You have to reparent yourself. You have to start from scratch. And like as a guy and like, oh boohoo, whatever. But like that's the thing that we're struggling with. Yeah. Like no one really taught us anything. Absolutely. Our dads taught us how to scream and how to be anxious avoidant mm. and how to avoid confrontation. Yeah. And they didn't actually teach us anything. Mm. You know? Yeah. So like it's really difficult to navigate this shit as an adult when you don't really have a positive reference point. Yeah, it's something I noticed living in America is that I find that a lot of American men are raised by rappers, like just celebrities. Tragedy. Like what I found living in America is that 
a lot of American men are raised by media personalities and celebrities. Yeah. So a lot of black American men are raised by rappers. Like yeah. Jay-Z is your dad. Yeah. Like you listen to Jay-Z and to, you listen to his albums yeah. and those, you internalize those as your philosophies. Yeah. You model his behavior. You look at J. Cole. Yeah. And you just have to wonder, well, like, where is your dad? Why didn't your dad turn? And then it's, it's also the same because I look at how obsessed Americans are with celebrities. Yeah. And it's because, in my opinion, that Americans just don't have parents in the home. You so said we it. look for parents. Fathers spend an hour a week with their kids. We said it the other episode. Yeah. You're completely right. So many women are parented by Cardi B because, you know, your mom is too busy working. Right. You know, like capitalism took her out of the house out of the home capitalism took your dad out of the home and yeah. so i find that the obsession with celebrity that even england has i find like british people have this too yeah is so much caused by a lack of parental love mm. in the home and so you look for guidance in media personalities yeah because that is the only thing bigger than you those you are know, the it's... only people bigger than you what you're talking about, it was a really heated debate online the other day. Because mm. someone tweeted, listen, it's the left's fault for the rise of Andrew Tate because you can't just not give any advice to men at all mm. and then not expect for them to look for that yeah. in figures that are actively providing it. Mm. So it's not that like Andrew Tate advice, Jordan Peterson advice doesn't suck. It's just yeah. they're the only people <laughs> yeah. giving advice yeah. to men. And then this woman replied to this tweet like, I teach my sons every single day to be nice to women. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's the only advice you give your sons. You don't yeah. teach them how to deal with their emotions. You don't mm. teach them how to deal with their anger. You don't teach them how to deal with confrontation. You yeah. don't. And the truth is that when you don't give someone advice, they will find it from worse people. Mm. And I think that a big part of how insane men have gotten, it's really just because no one has really been treating them as like emotional entities mm. as people that really need counseling and direction yeah. on how to deal with emotion and pro the advice is just be nice to women yeah which is a good piece yeah. of advice and then there also needs to be like 80 other pieces of advice mm. it's like it's like if you think that is the only direction that young men need you are delusional yeah yeah. And like yeah. then they look for that in Andrew Tate. They mm. look for that in Jordan. They look for that in people actually offering it. Yeah. And then that advice is terrible. Yeah. But yeah. the truth is like people need role models. Mm. They need representation. They need people to tell them how to deal with their emotions, how yeah. to deal with feeling overwhelmed, how to deal with feeling emasculated, how mm. to deal with and then you don't teach people that and then you just tell them, no, just be nice to women. Yeah. And then they yeah. end up incels because yeah. there's no that's not real advice. No, that's absolutely so true. And I you know, there's this assumption that like, you know, women, we're taught to manage our emotions better. And I just don't think that's the case. I think we're all trash. We're just trash in different ways. You know? like, Explain. I think that we all learn how to regulate and manage our emotions by watching our parents model their own emotional regulation and management. Yeah. And so if you grew up in a home where every time your parents fought, they would scream at each other, mm. then you're going to grow up and think that that is how emotions should be expressed. Mm. Or like if you grow up in a home where one person gives the other the silent treatment mm. or one person just gets really, really anxious every time, you know, something goes wrong you are going to internalize that way of emotional regulation and management 
and then you have to wait until you're fucking 30 and you can afford therapy to unlearn all of that so you can actually learn how to regulate your nervous system it's just we were being led by the blind yeah. all of us yeah it's just one blind man leading another blind man absolutely and that's what i really feel like the state of parenting was yeah and you know, I mean, it's even worse for people who grew up in abusive households. Mm. You know, violence begets violence. If mm. you grew up in a, in a home where your dad hit your mom and like, yeah. you know, you're going to think it's normal yeah. to hit your wife. Like, it's, it's just what is familiar and what is yeah. normal to you. And so there's just so little healthy emotional regulation and management in the home yeah. that all of us were just... Or most this, of us, we're just like led astray. I have this friend who, um, also Jamaican, I don't know. Jamaican men, we're not known for our emotional intelligence, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And his son is five. And his son is at the age where like yelling has stopped working. And he was telling me like, I don't know what to do with this kid. I keep yelling, I don't want to hit him. He doesn't believe in that. Mm. But like raising his voice no longer works. And you reach that moment with a kid. Like yeah. I remember I was like 12 and like, beating stopped working and my mom just stopped because she realized that like oh like this isn't he's not yeah. scared of this anymore Interesting. when the kid's like ah just whip me yeah. that's when you know <laughs> yeah. it's like over so now that yelling has stopped working he gets so mad at his dad because it's like you didn't wow. teach me anything else yeah. i don't actually know how to be a disciplinarian mm. in any other way but yelling yeah. because you never and now i have my son mm. and he's fine it's like who the fuck am i supposed to look to for this advice yeah no one yeah. taught me how to do this yeah yeah and yeah you know we're all just kind of dropped in this world and we're just all told to it's figure it out it's such a scam yeah and it's it's really interesting because like what i found is that just like learning how to breathe Mm. regulates your nervous system and then like you can regulate your emotions more but it's like i'm 29 and i just learned that like a year ago the amount of mistakes i made in my early 20s because i didn't breathe no, no honestly it's just really like yeah. it's yeah and i don't know where i don't know i also i heard someone say the other day that the reason that people yell when they get angry is not necessarily because they don't feel they're being heard is because there's so much distance between mm. them and the other in the same oh, way that oh wow that's that's fine yeah <laughs> in the same way that like <laughs> i guess americans don't do this but here in south africa if my neighbors down there down the street i'm gonna be like yay yeah so it's because they're they're far away right and when you feel distant you yell from someone you yell in an attempt for them that's very true. <laughs> in an attempt to get your message because you feel so far away from them. Yeah. And I think there just is a lot of yelling uh. generally in our culture when it comes to like conflict resolution. Yeah. Because there's so much distance between yeah. us, like as people. So many of us just aren't sharing realities. Like mm. so many of us just aren't here, like together, like in the same realm. Yeah. And we just end up yelling. Yeah. And of course that doesn't work because, yeah. you know. It's funny that we like started this conversation talking about self-care and then yeah. ended up here because like when I talk about like holistically making yourself a better person, this is the work. It, it's, like this is the yeah. actual, it's not fucking buying yourself a bag. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. doing this type of shit, like actually figuring out 
who fucked you up, when they fucked you up, and mm -hmm. how to fix it. Yeah. And kind of like taking account of, and that's not fun. Yeah. It's not really as fun as a spa date. Yeah. It's not really as yeah. fun as yeah. getting your nails done. But holistically, you like will look back yeah. on your life and you'll be like, oh, that was actually what I needed to do. Yeah. That was yeah, actually absolutely. like becoming more selfish, becoming more, se was actually interrogating yourself more, mm. being more accountable for yourself yeah and that's sort of like the positive version of selfishness because you are thinking about yourself yes you know i have this friend and he, he said something funny where it's like my favorite part of self-hating is the self yeah. you know where it's like yeah. there's yeah. a version of focusing on yourself that's really bad mm. that we actually associate with humility like mm. um self-deprecation we associate that with like oh that's probably a real self-aware down-to-earth guy yeah it's like if someone's shitting on themselves all day that means that they're thinking about themselves mm. Something else, you know, that I find very interesting, too, is that I do kind of think as much as liberals and the left really idealize the idea of like this selfless person. Mm -hmm. I'll let these people go past. As much as liberals and like people on the left, you know, we really idealize just this idea of like the selfless mm. person. Mm -hmm. I also think it's unreasonable, Explain. just on a purely neurochemical level. Yeah. I was reading this book called The Brain by a neuroscientist by the name of David Eagleman. Mm. And he was talking about this experiment that he did where I forgot the name of it, but I'll look it up and then I'll put it in the description box. Yeah. But he's talking about this experiment where Essentially, when you look at an object, right? Not a, not a human, but mm. an object, like a chair or a shoe or a rock. There's a certain part of your brain that lights up. Mm. When you look at another human, there's another part of your brain that lights up. Mm. So what they found was when you put one person in a room, right? And you tell them to look at a rock, and you tell them to look at a chair, you tell them to look at a stone, you tell them to look at a flower, the part of the brain that lights up when you look at objects lights up. Mm -hmm. When you tell that same person to look at someone inside of their tribe, mm. a part of the brain that the part of the brain that lights up when you look at a human lights up. Mm. But when you tell that same person to look at a human outside of their tribe, the part of the brain that lights up when you look at an object is the part that lights up. Mm. So we are not neurobiologically designed to give a fuck about people outside of our tribes there were no exceptions mm. in this experiment yeah if you took a christian and you had them look at a muslim yeah or vice versa mm. the part of the brain that would light up when they look at each other is the object part we are not neurobiologically designed to humanize people outside of our tribe literally and and so it is unreasonable yeah to expect us to do that on a huge mass societal level. It's just, it you know, doesn't happen. There's this book called Moral Tribalism by the head of philosophy at Harvard, Joshua Green. And yeah. his point is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. But his point is that from an Evo psych perspective, the modern conservatives we see today, mm. the hyper isolationists, the hyper nationalists, the people who are always fearful of immigrants mm. are less evolved cognitively. They, it, they are they more close are. to the caveman brain yes. of us and them. And anytime I see them, I'm assuming they're here to kill me. 
No, it's, it's you know? when you see and, them. And there are people who are just it. naturally more wired like that. Yeah. And there are people who are naturally less wired like that. And it's a bit of a generalization, but like I think he's kind of onto something. No, absolutely. Because why are there just certain people that when they just see someone a little different than them, they're like, I don't know. I don't yeah, trust we it. We should kill. And no, absolutely. It's, you know, we, we always ask, why are white people like that? How could white people lynch us? How could you hang? A black person on a tree. Do you not see the humanity? They the didn't. answer is no. no they, they saw a shoe. They saw an object, and we can prove it with neuroscience. Right. right. It has been neurochemically proven. Yeah. That white people do not see us as humans. But as all black people. People, we don't see them as humans. <laughs> yeah. We don't. It's just what it is. And really, unless you grew up in a multicultural. Yeah. Even though, those, maybe, are, those are and, words. And even, but you know, like, if you maybe were born, and this is also a maybe. Yeah. You know, if you were born in New York, and you know, like, you grew up on a block, and your next door neighbor was Latina, and yeah. your next neighbor was Chinese, and you have that to a lesser extent because you still consider those people part of your tribe. Yeah. Because that's what you. But if you grew up in a homogenous place. Yeah. If you just grew up in your one village or your one town where all of you are white or yeah. all of you are black or all of you are Muslim, your brain is designed yeah. to view people that are not that as objects. Absolutely. And it sucks, okay? But no one wants to hear right. that you're just a monkey that cannot humanize up, but that's what you are. Right. And, and I think we, we can only evolve past these constructs of racism mm. and misogyny once we accept that we are not wired and designed to humanize each other. It's 100% true. And this is why it's really funny that people view self-care or self-development as something that is comforting. It's mm. something that is relaxing. Yeah. It's something that doesn't yeah. challenge you. Mm. When anything that would actually improve your fucking life yes. would be something that challenges you. Mm. It would be leaving your cushy little homogenous country Absolutely. and go living with some people with a different fucking skin color. Like Absolutely. the things that would actually aid in your psychological and emotional and physical development yeah. are not going to the spa. Yes. It would be going to South Sudan. Yes. But because you're not gonna do that, yeah. we convince ourselves that going to and by the way, I'm being I know that taking care of yourself is a very important part of life. Yeah, no, but if you really you. want to develop, if you really want to challenge yourself, deal with your internalized racism, internalized misogyny, whatever it is you want to get better at, you would have to challenge yourself. Mm. If you're a man who's inherently tense towards misogyny, you'd have to like just surround yourself with women for like a year yeah. to like actually realize Six, like, oh, they're, they're actually like people with feelings and families. Absolutely. And, and like, that's something that I think is really sad about like the modern self-care self-love thing where none of it is actually about development mm. it's about catharsis and yeah. comfort it's about the satisfaction of desires yeah let's round this up what in your opinion is a selfish way of existing that has improved your life or the life of other people what is an example of being selfish that has actually benefited you or the people around you Oh man, let me think. Mm. So like in music, mm. I started off as a producer, Yeah. you know? And as a producer, you're inherently sort of taught that your goal in life is to sort of create this magic and just give it to other people. Yeah. Because I'm not good enough to execute it myself. Mm. I'm not the celebrity. I'm not cute. Yeah. I don't have all the pizzazz. 
and your job is to give that to other people. And I think you just really end up shortchanging yourself because the idea never actually gets to become the best version of itself. Oh. Because sometimes it has to be executed by you. Mm. And it's sort of like the Kanye thing, like, you know, I'm rapping over beats they were supposed to buy. I guess I'm getting high off my own supply. It's like, yeah. sometimes you should get high off your own supply. Sometimes it doesn't matter if you have the best voice or if you're the prettiest person. Your ideas should really belong to you sometimes mm. because they are meant to be executed by you. Right. And right. in my life, I spent the first part of my music career just kind of creating beats, giving them to other people. And I was always a bit dissatisfied because they never cared about them as much as me. Mm. They never spent as much time as I would have spent writing to them. They never spent as much time executing them and working yeah. on the music video as I would have done. And sometime around 20, I just said, fuck that. Yeah. Like, I'm tired of sending these rappers my beats for $20 on PayPal. Yeah. I'm tired of always being dissatisfied in the mm. way things come out. I'm not the best singer. I'm not the best performer. I'm yeah. not the best artist. But let me give this a chance. And me singing over my own music is probably the most impactful and important decision I made in my career. And I would have never done that if I didn't decide to be a little more selfish. Interesting. And like, allow myself to get high off my own supply. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, believe that, hey, I might not have the best voice or I might not have the best stage presence but I care the most yeah and I think yeah. sometimes in life choosing to execute something not because you're the best or not because you're the most competent but because you care the most because mm -hmm. it's your baby yeah can seem selfish in the moment yeah. but really that was just the right thing to do yeah. you know yeah the, the things that you, you hold very dear that you just know that no one else is gonna really care about as much as you mm. are the things that you should be selfish about yeah and for me that was like music now I do not make beats for other people yeah. And I haven't done it for five years and I don't regret a second. No, of it. absolutely. It's a complete waste no, of my time. That. Yeah. What about you? Um, no, I've been more selfish with my time the older I get. Mm. And because I'm a recovering people pleaser, it has meant just saying no mm. to people more. Mm. Something, we were talking about resentment at the beginning of the, of the episode and you know, I, when I first got really depressed, I lost a really close friend of mine because she was like, I don't want any sad friends. Mm. And I really resented her for that because I felt like, well, when you were sad, I was always there for you. Like I was always, and now I'm a bit older and I'm like, well, A, she didn't necessarily owe me that. Like, you know, like she had every right to be like, yeah, I don't want, yeah. I don't want sad friends. And I also now also feel that like I have every right to not want the particular type of friend, you know, mm. like I would always feel bad for not wanting to be friends with someone that I find unpleasant for whatever reason. And like, I would always try to make friendships work because I didn't want to feel bad or I didn't want to feel like I didn't want to make someone feel rejected. I didn't want to make someone feel... I used to be so bad. Like, in my early 20s, I would go on pity dates. You would tell me about like, What is that? I Explain knew... what a pity date is. It's like, okay, I know that... Let's say Joshua... <laughs> pity pussy? Yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but if I know that Joshua likes me... Yeah. And he's a nice guy. You know, he's not a psychopath. Yeah. He's a nice guy. He's chivalrous. He's kind. But I'm not interested. Like, I'm yeah. not. 
I would genuinely feel yeah. bad because I didn't want to like hurt his feelings mm. by rejecting him. Yeah. So I'd be like, I'll take him. I'll go on a date with this guy. You know? And yeah. it's like, yeah, that I did that once with this Italian guy. And he, it wasn't because he's Italian, but like he was the opposite of like anyone I would ever be interested in. Yeah. I didn't find him funny. I didn't find him smart. I didn't find him interesting. That he was fine. Yeah. He was a nice person. He's kind, you know, he treats his mother well, mm. he opens the door, mm. he paid on the first date, mm -hmm. you know, like he's fine. But it's like, I'm just not uh, it's interested. Not, yeah, it's not doing But anything. I went on a date with him anyway. And yeah, now I would never do that now. Now I'm just like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I just used to conflate rejecting someone with like being a bad person. Mm. And I think on some level, I felt that I didn't deserve to have boundaries. Yeah. Like on some level, I felt like like other people's feelings are, are more, more important, important than mine. Yeah. And now I'm like, wait, but why, why should they be? Mm -hmm. It's also like people are adults, they can handle rejection. That's really something I had to learn in my 20s. Like right. adults can, ha and if you can't handle rejection, that's also not my problem. <laughs> the fuck does that have to do with me? I think when you're young and you're idealistic and you want to love everyone and save the whole world, you forget that, hey, I am a person in this world. Yeah. So why am I treating myself like trash? Like an exception. You know? Yeah. yeah. Know? And I think the reason I felt so resentful towards my friend is because I would have never done that to someone because I always felt that other people's feelings were more important than mine. Mm. So the idea that she put her feelings before mine, uh... I was so... But A, there's a narcissism and egoism in that. Of course. In, you know, expe expecting that I'm owed that. Mm. And, you know, like we reconnected and we talked it over and I don't harbor any bad feelings towards this person. Like we are perfectly fine now. But I also told her like, yeah, I, I'm like, honestly, like friendship for me is like way lower on my priority list. Because I know how little you are owed in mm. friendship and I do kind of like relationships that tend towards the heavier side. Mm. I'm just like not interested. You know, I'm, I'm more comfortable telling people now like I'm not, there's nothing wrong with you that I don't want to be your friend because I'm A, a lot less interested in the construct of friendship than you are and B, I don't think you're interesting. I don't think it. And like, you just, we all deserve and that. And you, you, right. everyone deserve, it's, you know, it's that, how I really feel now is like, you deserve to not like people. Yes. And people deserve to not like you. Mm. It is okay to not be liked. And it is okay to not like other people. It is, you are not a bad person because you don't like, it's also that I always felt that in order to justify not liking someone, you had to have a really good reason. <laughs> Like, so I'm like, just, yeah, so you know, just like, I don't, I don't like your voice, know, that's, I don't something, like... that's something I had to learn from Mango. Yeah. Mango will meet someone and just be like, I don't fuck with this person. Yeah. She won't give me a reason. <laughs> She'll just be like, I want this bitch out of the house right now. And yo, I really respect her for that. Yeah. She doesn't feel the need to justify who she is, to justify her emotions. To ju She's just like, this is how I feel and mm. it's valid. Mm because I feel it, mm. because I feel it, it is valid, mm. because I 
don't like this person. I don't need a reason. And you know, yeah, I just also think sometimes you're just that there's no chemistry between you and someone like mm. just who they are fundamentally on an unchangeable <laughs> level. I remember, you know, I stayed friends with this person who in the end threatened to kill me and my family because truly she was mentally ill though. And all of her friends abandoned her and I was the last person standing because yeah. I really felt like I had a moral duty to yeah. like be there for and her. And then she threatened to kill you and, and your family. And she threatened to kill me and my family. And that's when I was like, why do I feel that yeah. I need to, why couldn't I have cut her off? Mm. Because I had a bad feeling about her. Because I did. Mm. And so... It sucks. It, it, it's really hard to find the balance because when you are a deeply empathetic person, and I hate when people say that. I'm like, yeah. I have an empath. But yeah. when you just feel, you're very sensitive. Yeah, yeah. You do just think like, damn, if this person falls through the cracks and I don't take care of them, who will? Yeah, yeah. And it's really yeah. difficult. Yeah. But you have to set boundaries you, you can't also allow yourself to fall through the cracks yeah, then you can't help anyone yeah yes and that that's the real fundamental struggle of life yeah trying to figure out to what extent should i be selfless and to mm. what extent should i be selfish yeah because i think in order to have integrity you have to be a little bit selfish yeah if you accommodate to anyone in the room you are nobody it's like yeah. malcolm x you stand for nothing you fall for anything Absolutely. you have to have enough self-interest to be honest, you can't yeah. be with one friend who's talking shit about your other friend when you're with them, you agree when you're the other one, you don't. Yeah. You cannot be like no, that. You're it. a fake person yes. and you're a coward. Yeah. So you yeah. have to be selfish enough to get out of that realm of cowardice, mm. but selfless enough to avoid narcissism. Yeah. And that yeah. is the sweet spot. Yes. And it's difficult to find, but that's the thing that everyone should work towards. No, absolutely. And I think where I'm at now is that I remind myself when, I, when I'm having that existential question of like, to what extent should I be selfish or selfless? I, because I tend towards the selflessness, I remind, I always have to stop and be like, are you going to resent this person? Oh. Because if you are going to end up resenting this it's person, not worth it. then rather just set your boundary and go. Yeah. Like be selfish and go. Yeah. It is always better to be selfish than to have resentment for someone. Yeah. Because once the resentment builds up, you lose everything. You, you both do. lose that person and you didn't honor yourself or yeah. your needs. Yeah. So and it's very hard to, it's so much easier to maintain a relationship than fix it once it's broken. Yeah. So like years went by and I ended up making up with that friend of mine who mm. got cancer. They ended up beating the cancer. They're healthy now. Yeah. I'm in my own place where I'm cool with where my career ended yeah. up. But that person will always symbolize resentment to me. Mm. So I'll never really be able to be as close to that person Absolutely. as I once was. Yeah. And it's interesting that we should be cognizant of that because it'll make you so much more pressed to be honest in the moment. Mm. Because a lot of times we feel like even if a relationship breaks, we can fix it. But sometimes things have just been broken too yeah. much. You Absolutely. Know? It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So there we have it, guys selfishness versus selflessness what do you think mm. where on the spectrum do you fall are you too a recovering people pleaser mm. or are you just a people pleaser are you a selfish person if so let us know and let us know how has that worked out for you yeah do you like being selfish do you not like being selfish mm -hmm. um would you like to change this mm. Let us know. Yeah, or if you're like, you know, like a, a communist cuck like me who yeah. just always gives things to, how has that worked out for you? Yeah. You know? Yeah, let us know. <laughs> and we'll catch you in the next episode.
Bye. That was really good. That was great. Love that.